This is Kyle McCord, and you're listening to Austin, Felix, and Matt on the W Debate. Welcome to the W Debate. All right, boys, are we ready to debate? Austin, you tweeted something, girl. You tweeted your running back tonight. Explain yourself. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand. <laughs> you jumped up and... That's Austin Mace. Who is going to be that guy? And for me, Bijan Robinson is still going to be that guy. Back to the ground with Robinson who spins and then tries to bounce it. A stiff arm. Another one as he rides it. Keeps his balance. They're going to say he stepped out. But I'm... I'm feeling sharp. I know you didn't think that we would get through this episode without mentioning the name one Zach F. Wilson. Screen or draw? Oh, Wilson is going to uncork for the end zone, and he drops it in beautifully. And it is his roommate Dax Milne on the touchdown. That's Matt Brody. G. Scott Jr. Obviously, I whacked poetic about him on the last episode, so I won't do that again here. And this time, it's Fields on the carry. Watch out! Justin Fields! Hello, Columbus! 51 yards! Vernon, are you ready to go head-to-head with me? I am. Gotta get my popcorn out here. Hold on. Gotta continue. I got Kyle McCord is going to end up winning the job. He's going to be rated higher. Um, well, I'm not nearly as passionate about what I'm about to talk about. Uh, our apologies for Kirk Street and Atlanta. Time will get him rescheduled soon. And for Matt Bruning and Austin A, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. It's 9.30 Eastern time, the only time zone with more boyfriends than Taylor Swift. That means it's time for the WWE debate, brought to you by CampusCan.com. Austin Ace, Chris Moxley, Matt Bruning, and um, Felix Sharp on a totally concocted version of tonight's show. We're going to fix last week's mock draft. We're going to answer whether we'd rather have J.J. McCarthy or Jaden Daniels. And has Austin changed his mind on either Carson Beck or Ladd McConkey? But we start with uh, coaching news that is breaking around the country, or should say has broke around the country. I think, Austin, we should start with Jimbo Fisher. Um, According to Billy Lucci, uh, TexasAgs.com, Jimbo is out. I don't think that this is a surprise, um, especially after last season, and they haven't really turned on any success this season. Jimbo is out. Um, I don't know. What's your reaction? Should we care? Uh, what do you, what's your reaction to this news? Yeah, I think the timing is interesting. You know, I thought, I thought he might go to the end of the season just, you know, because at this point it kind of is what it is for this year. I know signing days coming up. I know, you know, there's going to be probably a, a decent coaching carousel. I'm sure they're trying to get out ahead of both of those things. Um, but other than that, I, I, I don't think this is surprising at all. And I've, I, I feel like it's it's kind of a lame response that I don't have much more of a takeaway than that. I think it's going to be interesting to see what they do in terms of uh, keeping recruits. I believe they have, at this point, a top 10 recruiting class for next year. Do they maintain that? I think a lot of that's going to depend on who they go out 
and higher, how much of the staff stays around, you know, Bobby Petrino, that offense really hasn't been the problem this year overall on, on a week to week basis. So do they try to keep him around? Uh, I, I'm interested to see exactly what direction they go here. And I've seen the short list of, of coaches. I think, you know, maybe we'll discuss a little bit of that. Um, I, I think Mike Elko makes the most sense. But is he a splashy enough hire for what they want to do, considering they went out and got Jimbo the first time, pried him away shortly after his national championship at Florida State, and then you know a couple years later paid him all that money? Like, is Elko a sexy enough hire for Texas A&M? I'm not sure. So I'll be interested to see if that's the route they actually end up going. That's a good name. And obviously, it's the most popular name, right? He was the defense coordinator under, under Jimbo at Texas A&M, so he's familiar with the program. I don't think that he's a sexy enough name either. I, I mean, he's done a bang up job at Duke to turning around a program that had kind of languished in the last few years. He made great coordinator hires too at Duke. So like, I don't want to just put that all on him, even though he has done an awesome job. I think he's the guy you hire if you want to really overhaul the program and just say from the ground up, we need rebuilding. I need a year zero and then four or five more. Maybe that, maybe that's Mike Elko. Uh, and I think he would be a great hire too. Like that's not me saying he wouldn't be. I, I think there are sexier hires. Dan Lenning's thrown out. I don't think Dan Lenning's going there. Um, I've heard Lane Kiffin. I don't know that Lane Kiffin's going there. I don't know. I just the reason that Texas A&M was able to get Jimbo at the time was that he was basically heading towards divorce with Florida State anyway, and so it just kind of like all manifested itself at once. I don't really have a strong take on his firing, to be honest. I mean, he's going to make $76 million for, like, sitting in, in his backyard by the fire. Like, that's that's really it. Uh, maybe don't give guaranteed contracts to coaches who have one good year in the COVID season, which was an anomaly for, like, everybody. Like, the Indiana and Tom Allen, like, they were awesome, and he's been kind of bad ever since. That season was so weird. I, I don't have a strong take. I think the coaches being thrown around – are going to disappoint whoever the eventual hire is at Texas A&M is going to disappoint probably all everybody at Texas A&M, but that doesn't mean it's going to be the wrong hire. <laughs> I don't have a strong take either. I think, uh, you know, for our purposes, for anybody tuning in for the first time, you know, uh, we don't follow like the legacy media model for talking about college football Our for our purposes, we really care about players. And so Matt, you know, the question is whether or not this is going to have an impact for Evan Stewart, Ruben Owens, if you care about him, um, you know, uh, Noah Thomas and uh, Le'Veon Moss and um, Connor who's, Wigman. The, who's the quarterback? Yeah, Connor Wegman. <laughs> I was searching for that name, Connor Wegman. He just hasn't played in a while. Um, anyway, well, I that's what we really care about. What's your take on whether or not it will affect any of them? Because – uh, that's the other thing we should know is that with the coach firing, a transfer portal opens immediately for those players. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be the interesting thing. We've already seen a couple guys that we don't necessarily care about on the fantasy side of things, and probably realistically even the football side of things have already entered for the Aggies, but do they lose any big-name players? We've already seen, uh, I believe, one of their, who's either a high four-star or five-star offensive tackles come out and said, well, I'm committed to Texas A&M, but my recruitment is now open. So Pat, to me, pretty much says, yeah, I'm not really staying at Texas A&M, but he's, he's saying is he is that right kid now. in Texas. 
Uh, I don't remember exactly where he's from, but I, I just saw him post something about it on Twitter. And so that's where I was like, I, to me, that says like, oh, yeah, just because I don't want to get like killed online. I'm staying, but I'm really not staying. I'll be gone here. I'll wait till the new coach gets hired and use that as my reason to leave. For 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 Connor, Evan, Le'Veon Moss, Ruben Owens, I really think it just depends on who the coach is that they bring in. I mean, I would not be surprised if they don't go with a more offensive kind of coach. Uh, a guy that really sticks out to me for multiple reasons that I don't I know Austin didn't say. I don't think Chris said. I, I heard some of the names he said. Because he's not going to be in a conference next year. We've seen what he's done with arguably bad quarterbacks and rebuilt a quarterback this year. One Jonathan Smith of Oregon State. You take him. He's done a really good job of building defenses there as well at Oregon. Oregon State done a really good job of recruiting for a program like that. Getting guys into the NFL you put him on a team like Texas A&M, and I think everybody here would say that's not a sexy hire, right? You you get you hear Jonathan Smith. Most college fans are, or, yeah, most college fans are Texas A&M fans. But who the hell is this guy? It's not going to work out. I think with Texas A&M's money behind him and everything, and the way I think he recruits as it is, might actually be a really good hire for a team like Texas A&M because we've seen he's not afraid to go out. He he usually hires very good assistant head coach or assistant coaches. So. He's a name that I think is a very intriguing one, especially with the fact of, like I said, Oregon State doesn't technically have a conference next year. So why not make the jump? I'd hate it for Aiden Child's sake, unless Aiden Child's goes with him, but then he would have to sit for one more year behind Connor Wigman. But I, I think it would be a very intriguing fit for Texas A&M. But right now I think it's too early to say what it means for any of those players. We just don't know who the head coach is going to be, offensive coordinator, because I, I don't think it's going to be Petrino. So whoever they bring in I think is going to affect them more than Jimbo leaving. Can, can I, I say think... one thing about the players that are currently there? I'm not sure their loyalty was to Jimbo Fisher. I think their loyalty may have been to bags of cash. So I'm not sure a lot of them are leaving, if I'm being totally honest. I mean, that 2021 recruiting class yeah, yeah. Uh, was very heavily bought. So I like, are they going to enter the portal and miss out on some of those agreements? I'm not totally sure. I think they might just stick it out, especially the high-end guys. I think we knew that firings could come in the SEC because next year they're adding Oklahoma and Texas. And you have two, you know, high profile head coaches and Brett Venables and Steve Sarkeesian, Steve Sarkeesian, obviously more so uh, coming into the conference. I don't know that you can like just recruit. Uh, Sam Pittman can recruit against those two programs. I think it makes it more difficult. So you want to have a sexier name. I think Dan Lanning is a sexier name, but why in God's name would Dan like they would just have to pay him a boatload of money? But Oregon is a better job than Texas AM, and they're going to an easier conference. Like, I don't know, Dan Lanning, and, and I don't know what Dan Lanning is making, but they'd have to like double or triple his seven, salary. Seven, he's making 7.5 in the idea. I think Nate Marquise threw this around in our Slack that they would offer 15 million, so like double. Doubles money, but well, doesn't I, I mean, it get to a point where you can't even spend that much money? I mean, seven, I can't spend seven million dollars in a year. Well, I think I, I think Oregon, I think he's staying in Oregon. I think he'll just parlay this into a really nice raise, considering what he's done at Oregon. I I just don't understand the big name that's going to go to Texas A and M, knowing how much influence the boosters have. It's not a place that you can win. It's a place they think they can win, but you can't actually win or haven't won in the past. Like what is if you if you can recruit that the upside well, you can, there of a coach if you can recruit just that generational well, you can wealth, win. but 
why why landing as well with the success he's, success he's already had at Oregon? Now he's going to the Big Ten. It's not like he's still in the Pac-12. He's going to be in the second power conference. He Outside of Ohio State, Michigan, they're probably the third favorite right now going into the Big Ten next year to win that division yep. or be in the playoffs. It's 12 teams. Like, Why do you want to go to the SEC on a team that's not? I shouldn't say they're not good. That Jimbo has done the least with the most. He does have good players. At least he recruits good players. They just don't do anything. But why jump ship with a team that you've already built over the past two years? He's already killed it in recruiting the past two years at Oregon. I don't think that's going to hurt him anymore going into the Big Ten. Like that name to me makes no sense whatsoever. It's not like he's he, going. He won't leave. He Kirby won't leave. Like Kirby Smart's moving on. That makes more sense than him going to Texas A&M. But it, it it would seem like so. John, I don't know how Jonathan Smith looks like he's in his fifties. It that Texas A and M job seems like like who's the up and coming thirty seven year old head it's coach? It's like Elko. I yeah. very much disagree with that. Really, I think it's going to be coach, Texas A and M presents some very difficult issues that a lot of other schools don't. And I think the biggest one is actually because of their biggest strength, which is the cash. Because I think players know that they have the money. And so if a player is going to go there, they're going to demand that money. And I think that ends up attracting a different profile of player. And I'm not saying that this is, I mean, it is in general, I think a bad thing in terms of like, it is not a positive attribute that some of these players possess that are going there, but I think it presents some very unique challenges for a coach. And I don't think a up and comer is the guy to do that. I think you need to like, you know, who would be amazing there? Urban Meyer would be amazing there. He is the exact kind of coach that they need with a lot of past success a guy who knows how to recruit, a guy who has shown that he can deal with a lot of personalities in college football. I am not advocating for that hire, but I'm saying that's the kind of coach that you have to bring in there. You would have to bring in him, a a Kirby Smart, a Nick Saban. There are maybe six or seven coaches at any given time that fit the profile of that program. I'm just saying. Can I can I offer one more? Although I don't wait, think wait, Urban Meyer is a bad So it sounds, like, it sounds like top three, Urban Meyer, number two, Mel Tucker, Number three, uh, Art Bryles. Art Bryles is uh, that's a Texas top. Jeff Levy got criminal court. <laughs> what about someone who did he just he just left the college ranks? He's back in the NFL, but we've seen can handle pressure. Back, I mean, he brought Penn State back from the Paterno scandal. Well, Bill O'Brien. Oh, the, Bill O'Brien takes over Texas. I think there's a better chance of that than Urban Meyer. I would upset the cheerleader that he was hitting on a couple weeks ago. None of of those Belichick guys are good coaches. They're terrible. terrible, Like According to Mox, it won't matter. Whoever goes is going to fail at Texas A&M anyway, so why not go get the bag if you're Bob? Yeah, I I just don't think Urban has is likely. I I really do think that he's retired, retired. Um, I mean, he's he would be a good hire. If you are willing to accept the uh, baggage that comes along with him, which obviously Texas A&M is willing to accept considering they have DJ Durkin and Bobby Petrino on staff. So, like they don't really care for morals at all. Um, yeah. I mean, this job is attractive, right? It, it It is one of the best jobs in the country, given the resources that you have available to you, but you have a very meddling 
uh, booster community. So you need to have, like Austin said, someone who has experience. I don't know that they're they're going to get you know that guy what? this hot this, this cycle. I what about Jason Garrett? Oh my god! Yeah, how that might like, be the I, worst name that's all right listening so to this. They're going to be very angry with us. I'm throwing out these names: Bill O'Brien, Jason Garrett. Y'all are wild. <laughs> I think Jonathan Smith was actually. I'm just thinking. Of, I was guy. like, who's and a Texas guy who has Texas roots? And I'm like, well, I mean, Jason Garrett played there and coached there, so he's not what doing. Do you, what do you think about Jeff do. Trailer? UTSA head coach. I've seen him thrown around. I just don't think he has the experience. Yeah, I think the experience issue is going to pop up for a lot of these names that are kind of, you know, on the cusp type candidates. I, I just think you have the possibility of just getting totally overcome by the wave that is Texas A&M football with everything that comes with it if you've got a young coach in there. You know who also would be actually really good there? Hugh Freeze would actually be excellent at Texas A&M. Kind of <laughs> like, that's the kind, like, an experienced guy who does not care. <laughs> About <laughs> like the rules. I, I agree. I all. actually agree. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. None I of agree. these people care about the rules. What about I mean, think about Hugh Freeze. I think Evans. I mean, Evan Stewart stocks. I mean, he's already like wide receiver two for well, us. Well, Evan mean, Stewart be... tweeted out today. I don't know if anyone saw that. He said something like, "I just woke up and saw this and had like some like you know like one of those like you know emotionless faces like emoji posted." I, I don't. Again, like I, Evan Stewart is probably one of the guys that actually is like good enough on that team that it doesn't matter. He'll probably get cash wherever he goes. But I, I do think there might be we could be surprised with a name or two that jumps in the portal. I'd be interested to see. And you said today we should just let the cat out of the bag. Ah, that shit. My bad. We have been recording earlier. We're recording on Sunday night <laughs> and then releasing Wednesday, which is like the worst thing that you could do in media. <laughs> but you know. We're trying to give ourselves a little bit of a break during the week. Um, so, you know, if something happens between now and then, that's why. Um, okay, uh, Boise State is letting go of Andy. Uh, is it Avalos? Or Avalos? Yeah. It's Avalos. Uh, I mean, we care about Boise State. We care about the Mountain West. I mean, it's a conference that at the very least puts up a lot of points. And there's Eric McAllister is there. Ashton Genty is there. Taylor Green is there right now. I mean, uh, Chris. I mean, we we that's a team that has some, you know, some uh, some guys that we care about. Uh, Eric McAllister entered the portal last week. Um, I expect Ashton Genty to. I don't think he's going to be at at Boise State next year. I think that he's a a Power Five back if he wants it, and I think I think he should. I mean, he's a really good player. I mean, the Avalos tenure was kind of doomed from the start. I just wasn't sure about the hire in general. He had a lot of connections to the university, obviously. Um, well, Kellen Moore, Kellen Moore was getting a lot of buzz about potentially getting that job. And he might have not been a bad hire either. I, I'm going to be pretty interested to see who they bring on because this is the first time that Boise State has fired a coach this millennium, which I... I forgot who posted the stat. It might have been CFB numbers, I, but I, I will credit you later on when I am able to find the tweet. First time that they have fired somebody in the last 24 years. They, people have just like retired or gotten new jobs from there. So it's been coaching hotbed. I don't know. This year was like, I, I did not like what Boise State did on offense this year. Like they minimized Taylor Green's offense, brought in the son of Greg Maddox and he's been starting and I don't think he's done a great job. It's just, yeah. Avalos, I thought could have been fired last year and he was saved by, uh, 
Dirk Cotter coming back out of retirement. So, yeah, not surprised. Yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll see if, uh, if we get some movement from there. And uh, here, another one bites the dust in Happy Valley at Penn State. Mike Yurchich, Yurchich, Yurchich. Everybody's shaking their heads and not helping. Yurchich. I think it's Yurchich, but you're close enough. You're doing great. He's doing great. He's a. (laughs) You're doing great, sweetie. He is out, according to John uh, Sauber at the Center Daily. Um, I don't know that that's necessarily, you know, shocking news that they made a change there. That James Franklin made a change there. Matt, I mean, we saw the game uh, against Michigan, and that offense was just kind of stagnant. And you've got what we consider to be an elite talent in Drew Aller. What do you think about Penn State firing its OC? I mean, I think this is just something James Franklin did to kind of save his own hide in a way, because I I don't think the offense is going to change at all once they bring in a new offensive coordinator. He's always been... Uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for here? Very conservative in his offense. I mean, they're the 50th ranked offense overall, 82nd in passing, 44th in rushing, which is honestly kind of sad with that offensive line and having Nick Singleton and Catron Allen behind you. I can get, I guess, kind of Drew Alar struggling a little bit. They don't have any real weapons for him, but they're it's interesting because we see Drew Alar as like not living up to his potential. Maybe some of that has come from how highly we valued him, but like he actually, I believe has passed the ball down the field a little bit more than I expected. He just hasn't been successful at it at all. Like I think he's only completed, uh, what was it? One attempt over a certain amount of yards. I was trying to, pull it up here um so over 20 i'm sorry he's completed like eight of 29 it it was not uh pretty compared to some of the other players in in his range he's been really good in the short and behind the line of scrimmage but struggled going deep down the field again i don't know it's not a lot of attempts it's overall 25 percent of his attempts have have gone deep so maybe it is they just are not allowing him to do it there was a clip i'll have to see if i can find it uh, about a journalist asking James Franklin if they would just let Drew Alar open it up. I believe it was before the Ohio State game. If you guys uh, – Jordan Richards actually sent it to me because apparently the guy asking the question sounds like me, and so he thought I was the one goading James Franklin to giving an answer. We were laughing about that. I'll repost it on Twitter, but, like, it's a – I don't, we see quarterbacks do that all in college football. Like sometimes they just try and take that shot deep. And James Franklin's like, no, we don't ever coach our players to do that. It's all about this and that. Like, that is crazy. I That's don't insane. think he's going to bring in an offensive coordinator that still allows Drew Allard to do that. He's never done that since his time passing, even at Vanderbilt. He does not run a pass heavy offense that is willing to take chances. He runs a conservative offense, plays defense. I, I don't think the firing is going to change anything for. This is this is like Ryan Day not letting Justin Fields run the football. And I, we were going to have this later on the show sheet, but I mean, we might as well talk about it now. What I see is missing from Drew Aller's game compared to what he did in high school uh, at Medina is giving him like the opportunity to improvise. Like that was one of the best aspects of his game is what he did um off platform and you know creating on his own but i also like if there's a lot of you know short passes this offense has been very horizontal even the deep shots that they're taking it seems like they're on um 
three-step drops where you have man press coverage and, you know, like the wide receiver gets open immediately and they throw it. There's not a lot of long developing plays. You think about the stretch plays that have play action that, um, you know, Peyton Manning ran or that, uh, that uh, the Shanahan's run, those long developing play action plays where you have kind of a post and a long crosser. There's nothing like that. I want to see that. I want to see five-step drops. I would like to see uh, rollouts, stuff where he's not just sitting in the pocket. Like the, the best thing about Drew Aller was that he was this creative playmaker in a six foot five, 240 pound frame. And they are using none of that ability. They, I mean, you talked about he's throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage. It's a lot of behind the line of scrimmage. It's a lot of RPO where the ball comes out fast. I don't, I, I don't know how you can like, they're trying to coach like to not lose the game. And they're still losing to Ohio State, and they're still losing to Michigan because of the way they're playing. I don't know if it's personnel or if it was the play calling or some combination of both, but they are severely restricting what it is that we saw Drew Aller do on tape. I've talked about it on here a lot. I saw anticipatory throws in the middle of the field where he's throwing to a tight window with four or five defenders around. I saw him throw, you know, sidearm scrolling, uh, rolling through the left and right. You know, this is a player like if you give him the opportunity to show off that arm, you would expect a player that's six foot five, 240 pounds to have a big arm. And he does, but they have not given him the opportunity to show that off. They kind of showed it off against Maryland and Indiana, but that's about, that's about it this year. And, you know, I don't know. Austin, Chris, I, I, I'm wondering if we're overvaluing Drew Aller. I don't think that we are. I still think that he's the talented player that we saw on tape in high school. So I know you have not seen Parks and Rec, um, but there's a scene. I have have seen Parks and Rec. That was Parks and Rec Community. I've got all of those shows down. I've not seen The Office, but I've seen Parks and Rec in Community. Okay, so there's a scene with uh, Henry Winkler and his daughter, and she says, I have done nothing wrong ever in my life. And he says, I know this and I love you. After she messed up like a billion things prior. That is you and Drew Aller. Drew, he is missing like 90% of his throws late, behind. Like, I don't think the offense has set him up for success at all. The skill positions are uh, kind kind of pretty bad. Receivers are terrible. Um, I don't like the way this offense is called at all, but like he deserves some of the blame. And you just basically said, no, he's, he's perfect. He's my, my sweet child. I would never blame him for anything. And I think he has not been good this year, like even in the context of the offense. So I just want to like put a little bit of blame on Drew Aller. Yeah. We, I think we were overvaluing him based on where we had him preseason. Austin, you, you, you're just shaking your head. Do you have nothing to add to this conversation on? I think he's, I think he's not been processing very well. He's really late on a lot of throws and I'm wondering how much of that is his fault and how much of that is the staff not getting him prepared correctly. And I just really don't have a good answer to that, but I've watched a lot of Penn State this year, critically, because I hate Penn State as a Pitt fan. Um, and he, he just has not been very good. Even the games that he was really productive, that West Virginia game, about 25% of his production came on a 
broken play on a throw that should not have gotten to that receiver, and it did. Which is exactly what you want from Drew Aller, some broken no, play. No, that's not what we want to see from Drew Aller. We want to see him work something. In, I mean, just and it, He's done nothing wrong his entire life. It's not there. But I'm not, like, giving up on the kid. I think I'll be interested to see who they hire. I do think he should consider leaving. I, I do not yeah. think he will, but I think he should. And I know we're going to have a longer Penn State discussion later. Um, but no, we're getting it in yeah. right here. I mean, we're 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 getting it in right here. So I mean, if there's anything that you want to add, I mean, their record against Michigan and Ohio State, or James Franklin's record against Michigan and Ohio State is four and sixteen. No, we don't really care about that. But they're not, you know, they're they're not winning against the big boys, and he needs a Jahan Dotson. He needs a Parker Washington. He needs a Mitchell Tinsley quite frankly, on that team. And they just don't have it right now. By the way, did you see Sean Clifford uh, tweet, quote, bet? Did you see that? Like, I don't know what that was. That felt like a shot at It was a shot saying, at Michigan. Yeah, yeah, because they thought Penn yeah. State was going to win. I It felt like a shot at, at everybody who said Drew Aller should be starting over. Him. No, it was a shot at J.J. McCarthy. Yeah, because yeah, okay, all the Michigan sure. players okay. were posting bet after Harbaugh got suspended. You know, you said that Drew Alar needs a wide receiver. There was a school that was trying to get him to come to them right before he signed his official letter to Penn State that's got a lot of really good wide receivers. Yeah, but they left him hang out there for a long time. They left him hang out there for a long time. Oh, they did. But if Alar really wants to leave and he wants a good offensive line with a lot of wide receivers, they were looking at him. They might be going to the transfer portal for a quarterback. I'm just saying. He He's so uh, – so, Chris, I agree with you. He's so broken. He needs to go to a place that will fix him and develop his confidence. If he goes to Ohio State, he's going to be in a quarterback battle no matter, you know, who's there. Even if Kyle McCord's not there, he's going to battle with Aaron Noland or Devin Brown or somebody. that Like, he needs to go – to a place where if he did transfer, where he's going to be the starter and the, and the program is like investing specifically in him. And I can't even think of what place that would be off the top of my head. So, um, I mean, you, I, I, I know where he could go. Pitt. I know you're going to love it again and you're going to steal this take. Why not just go to Washington with Kalen DeBoer? I mean, you're going to make Felix change his pants now. I mean, I, I – <laughs> I was trying to think of a place that's, you know, geographically where uh, he's wa- from. Washington's but... in the Big Ten, my friend. They'll be playing that's near, near yeah, home all true. the time now. Yeah, that's, a, that's true. That's true. I mean, I it, we we keep sending these big arm quarterbacks to Kalen DeBoer. And, I mean, I don't – I like that one too. I, I, want, I want to see who's starting for Washington next year. Uh, is it wrong? I, the answer to this question is yes. Now, it's wrong to have Drew Aller ranked behind, or excuse me, ahead of J.J. McCarthy. But, well, Matt, you're saying no, it's not It's not wrong to have them ranked that way today? Drew Aller ranked ahead of J.J. McCarthy? No, I'd still keep him ahead of J.J. McCarthy, hmm. personally. Also, I, I Alabama think, yeah. would be another interesting place for him to go, personally, I think. But go ahead, Mox. If you believe in... Drew Waller turning it around and you don't think JJ McCarthy is a first round NFL pick, which I'm not sure I do on yeah. that second part, at least I don't think it's crazy. Um, because if you're just like JJ McCarthy is not going to provide for you 
at the collegiate level, probably the production that you need. So you're basically just saying who's the better NFL prospect. Right. It's probably yeah. JJ McCarthy right now. And I feel like pretty good in, in saying that. So yeah, I, I don't think it's wrong, but depending on your faith in Aller, it's, it's not crazy. I would just take JJ McCarthy, but I, I it's not crazy. It's just, you know, and JJ, first of all, JJ McCarthy's in his third year. I, and I also wouldn't be shocked if JJ McCarthy went back to school. Like I, that would not, that wouldn't particularly shock me. We all, we always have one of those seniors or excuse me, June, you know, draft eligible players that heads back to school. I wouldn't be surprised if JJ McCarthy went back. To can school. I, can Cause I they just, don't have a, they don't have a guy next year. Just make a point again. I just, I just pulled up one league here. I don't think there's any special QB scoring here. Drew Alar is QB 37 on the year, averaging 26.1 points a game. J.J. McCarthy is QB 44, averaging 24 points a game. So you can't even make the argument that J.J. has been better college-wise. Hmm. So, again, I'm it's still taking Alar. Because yeah. it, he's been better for you in C2C leagues, and I, I don't think it's – I understand he's having a bad year. But so is J.J. McCarthy last year. He was not having the year he's having now, and everybody is now ready to crown him a first-round pick. Like, what if Drew Allard turns it around and plays just as well, if not better than J.J. McCarthy is this year? You're going to say he's a first-round pick because we all agree he's got the tools to do it. So I'm not bailing on him in his first year starting. He's, in my opinion, has more talent than J.J. McCarthy. He's outproducing him on the college side of things. I just don't see any reason why J.J. McCarthy should be ranked ahead of him personally. This feels like Quinn Ewers last year. Like... He's the player. He's the talent. He's the five star. We know he could put it together. I I see similarities between us keeping him propped up. I never had Quinn Ewers propped up, but um, uh, Drew uh, Drew Aller is our consensus quarterback three. JJ McCarthy our consensus quarterback um eleven. So okay. Um, that's supposed to be all the coaching news. I think we got through everything there. Uh, Sam Pittman, Arkansas, as of this recording, Sam Pittman has not been fired. Chris tells me that he, they're sending him out for media day uh, to on Monday or Tuesday, and uh, he's just going to get questions about his job. That's that's he, they're sending sending him to the slaughter. If he's not fired during the season, he'll be fired in the off season. Oh, he's gone. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, housekeeping here. Hey. Help us get to 2,000 subscribers on YouTube. It's your first time tuning in. We play Campus to Canton League, so if you need more information on what that is, I'll put a link in the description box. If not, I mean, it's in the description box of a lot of the other videos. So check out uh, that link and check out campustocanton.com in general. From depth charts for two, for all 133 FBS, FBS teams that are continuously updated, uh, you can get that, that at the website. You can get rankings for, I don't know, Six, seven hundred plus players on the college side uh, for your campus to Canton leagues. Player comparison charts. Let's say, for example, you want to compare, I don't know, Evan Stewart's college trajectory to Devontae Adams' uh, college trajectory there at Fresno State. You can do it at campus to Canton.com. Um, we are starting the freshman guide. This will be our third annual freshman guide to get you ready for those freshman and supplemental draft guides or supplemental drafts for 2024 so be on the lookout for that and uh we are all right we haven't gotten a rate and review in a while let me know it with a five-star rate and review if you care about us pre-recording and then releasing on wednesday because the other option is is if we are going to record on sunday to kind of give us ourselves give ourselves a break during the week we could just go live on sunday when we record this 
So that's another option. Let us know. Pre-record, live, it doesn't matter. Let us know. Well, then watch like some some huge news happen later in the week. <laughs> and we're sitting here talking about uh yeah. So um and uh while we will not be live on Wednesday night, uh, excuse me, here on the YouTube channel, because this is pre-recorded, we will be on Dynasty Trades in Five, uh popular show in the Dynasty space. I have no idea why they want to talk to us, but uh Clay asked to, to have us on, so um, we will be there on Wednesday, Dynasty Trades in 5, November 15th. It's either 8 or 9. I don't think we have a set time, but me, Chris, and Matt will be on that show. So check it out. Um, hopefully they don't ask us any questions about the NFL. And, uh, yeah, Chris is shaking his head. Um, all right. We, we talked about Penn State a little bit. Let's get into some more Week 10 stuff. Uh, so we talked a little bit about J.J. McCarthy. I saw him compared to Ryan Tannehill, and I don't know if that's a player comparison or a play style comparison because when I think of Ryan Tannehill, I think of a guy who's not going to carry the load for the team on his own, but he can be a complementary piece to a very strong running game, and that's exactly what J.J. McCarthy is doing at Michigan. Uh, Austin. J.J. McCarthy, franchise quarterback, yes or no? No, I, I still have him as a day two guy. Um, I feel like a lot of the throws that people pick out as saying, you know, this is an NFL throw are, th are throws that I would expect any, you know, player that is talked about at all as a NFL draft prospect to be able to make. I just, I, I don't, he, he's, he's kind of fringy where like, I don't think he's a great improviser. I think if you can really harass him, he really, really struggles in the pocket. I don't think he's great if you're just saying three steps, hit that back foot, get the ball out. I do not think that's a strength of his. I just watch him and I think, you know, what kind of offense are you building around him? It has to be this Michigan-style offense where you're just running the crap out of the ball. They didn't. What, what was the stat this weekend? They didn't pass the ball after like seven-something left in the second quarter or something like that? One second he had, pass? Yeah, he had 10 total dropbacks, eight total attempts in the yeah. game. I mean, they, it, that's just what he is. I saw, and man, I mean, Dane Brugler probably knows more about football than I, you know, forgets more about football than I'll ever know. But he was saying, you know, Michigan, if you had Drake May or, or Caleb Williams as your quarterback, you would have done the same exact thing. And no, no coaching staff would have done that because they know that there's not going to be mistakes coming out of those guys like J.J. McCarthy is still very, very prone to at times. Matt? JJ McCarthy, is he a franchise quarterback? No, I, I don't think so. I agree with Austin. He probably goes day two. He's he's still a very I should say he's an athletic quarterback. He can make plays with his legs. I think he can play out of structure. And I will give him that he has played much better this year than I even expected. But I think what he's done and who he's done it against has been like wildly overrated. Uh, Penn state is by far the best defense he's played. He did nothing. And I, I do think that the Ohio state game will be another big test for him. If he goes out there and proves that he's going to gain a lot of favor in the draft community, and then we'll see what he does in the playoffs. If he gets a chance to play against Georgia, I think that'll be another real test to see what he's made of. But so far this year, when I look at the teams that he's played, there's not one good defense on that list outside of Penn State, and he went eight for seven for 60 yards, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions. That's not a franchise quarterback. It's not. Mox, what's going to be the over-under on that Ohio State-Michigan game? Like 41 and a half or something like that? 40, 
43 and a half? 40, I mean, 45, yeah, probably. Something, something, like, something that. like that. Yeah, I mean, two really good defenses and two offenses that I I think you can say uh, a couple negative things about. I just, I, I watch him attempt like eight passes this weekend, and I'm like, all right, I understood the game plan. I actually thought they adjusted really well um, in this game after their first couple drives when they just got nothing. They're like, we're just going to load up the offensive line and run down your throat, which they were able to do successfully. But on principle, can I take a first-round quarterback who threw three interceptions against Bowling Green? I don't know. Uh, I, I will say this about J.J. McCarthy, though. Uh, my big knock on him, it, it's, it's always been my big knock on him, is that he cannot operate inside of structure. Like he needs the play action to succeed. He's been much better than that this year. Much, much, much better. Uh, I still don't think he's a first round guy. I just don't. Uh, but day two, yeah, I, I think he could do it. I he's he he's one of these big time throws. Yeah, he he doesn't. He's one of these guys who has the physical tools and the recruiting pedigree. Um, but every, everything is not there. I'm surprised that people haven't talked about JJ McCarthy potentially switching positions at the next level, to be honest with you. Like if JJ McCarthy was black, they would be talking about, Oh, he's going to, he's going to switch positions. That's what people would be saying. They wouldn't be talking about him going in the first round. Um, Austin, I want to ask you about some of these other guys at Michigan because they play this style that is hard to tell what their projection is going to be at the NFL level. So any, any of these other Michigan guys, are they going to be top 24 players at the next level? Like, if you're holding them on the college side of your campus, the Canton League, do you feel good? Like, hey, I'm getting a great asset at the next level. I'm talking about guys like Blake Corum, Roman Wilson, Donovan Edwards, Colston Loveland. Do you see them having that sort of um, ceiling at the at, in the NFL? I can see Corum getting there just because, you know, as we talk about the running back all the time, basically, you know, that middle 80% of running backs in the league can operate in a, in, in, you know, lead an NFL backfield for a few weeks if they need to be. So I, I could see Corum getting there just based on that fact. Uh, I find Roman Wilson interesting because I do think he has an NFL skill, which is just his speed. And I think, like, quite frankly, like Puka Nasu is not an amazing receiver. But he's in an offense that's letting him just do exactly what he can do. So if you put Wilson in offense, it's, you know, is kind of asking him to occasionally work deep, you know, crossers, th- you know, things like that, that like just kind of, because I don't think he's great at getting himself open, but I think, you know, his speed is good enough that a team can work around that. So I do think Wilson going to the right spot could be interesting. Edwards, I've pretty much lost all faith in at this point. Um, and I think that's kind of the risk that we were taking drafting him this offseason was that, you know, we said, well, he's he's getting better at learning between the tackles. He's learning how to do that, but he hasn't progressed there at all. It's been three years, you know, whatever. And I, th- I find Colston Loveland to be potentially the most overrated player by the C2C community. I just I have watched him several times and just find nothing there that I find interesting at all from the NFL. Nothing. He's ta- He's small. I don't think he's overly athletic. I don't think he has great ball skills. I watch this guy and I'm like, what? I would rather take one of these 250 pound guys that are just way more projectable. Colson Loveland, I no, I have no interest in him at all. Would it surprise you, Chris Moxley, to know that actually J.J. McCarthy has had more play action plays this year than last year? I just looked it up. Not by much, but he has actually been in play action more this year than last year. That, um, that's not too surprising. I'd, I'd be interested to see what his grade was outside of play action if we're looking 
per PFF. I, I will let you know here in a second as I answer this question. I, for the most part, agree with Austin. I don't want to say I'm completely out on Donovan Edwards. I know he has had a very bad year, but I just from what he can do receiving-wise, I do think that he could be a very good punt or kick returner in the NFL as well. That's the kind of player that I personally bet on getting to that like top position for fantasy, a top 24 player because he's got that receiving upside. Um, I do think he's got obviously the size and speed as well that if he takes, you know, let's just be honest, if he ends up in San Francisco drafts like five running backs every year anyways, if he ends up in a place like San Francisco or if he ends up in Miami, he's a guy that will end up there. And I believe in his skill set a little bit more than I do Blake Horn, but he would, it would be one of those two just because there's so much attrition at the running back position. I don't think Roman Wilson gets there and I'm kind of with Austin on Loveland. I, I don't really like him at all. So for, uh, for the record, I don't think that Donovan Edwards is the style of back that those Miami systems run, but uh, I do agree with you that he could be a top 24 player because of um, his pass catching ability. Like it, it's just, if if there's a player that from Michigan that needed to enter the transfer portal, it is Donovan Edwards because he has a skill set that could be utilized. You're just not going to do it when you have three tight ends and two fullbacks on the field and you're running, you know, eye formation power. Like that's not that is not Donovan Edwards' game where you're going to get the most out of his game. So he needs to be in a wide open system, a shotgun system, somewhere where he's where he's going to catch 30, 40 balls on, in a season. Did you see the run he had where he basically ran to the back of his offensive lineman? While there was like four or five yard hole on the right, and just, he just didn't hit it early enough, or else he would have had a touchdown. Um, like there were multiple plays that game where I was like, this dude has just no vision. It, <laughs> but you know what? That run. comes from reps, though. That comes from reps, like understanding yeah, where fair. the seams and creases are, and it's hard to do that if you can't if you can't get a, in a rhythm. And he's the one B. Or actually, he's just the he's the two. He's the uh, B for that team. Yeah, he's the B. Yeah. Hey. Michigan has a receiver that profiles very or a running back that profiles almost exactly to Donovan Edwards coming in. And I would just if I could get that kid on the phone for two minutes, I would tell him you need to be looking uh, elsewhere. Although, in fairness, that whole staff might be gone after this year anyway. So, yeah. All right, uh, Matt. Another running back that had uh, you know a major event this weekend is uh, Jonathan Brooks for te Texas. He's out for the season, um, and it's it sounds like it, well, no, actually, it's been confirmed that it's an ACL injury. What do you think the implications are for him as NFL draft stock? Maybe potentially coming back, but then I mean they've got CJ Baxter behind him, and then the class before that, it's Jadon Blue, who you know seems like he fell on. Uh, got in the doghouse with that team. But what do you think the implications are overall for that running back room? Yeah, I mean, I think that it gives Baxter the chance to show us exactly what this Texas backfield is going to look like next year. I think even if Brooks comes back with as good as Baxter has already looked, I would not be surprised if he takes the reins and is the starter next year. Maybe there's some kind of split between him and, and Brooks still, but Baxter being the one, I think there's a better shot that Brooks just ends up go, coming out what is it four months before the combine so maybe he doesn't test at the combine but i would imagine he can get pretty close to being somewhat healthy at least healthy enough to run by a pro day later in the year does kind of like something like that for nfl teams he's projected by enough of these nfl analysts to be the top running back taken i don't think there's any reason you come back unless you find out you're not going day two and from everything i've seen they're projecting him to go day two so i expect him to go 
which gives them Baxter the chance to prove it. What is going to be interesting for me is, is we as a company were fairly high on Jadon Blue uh, a couple years ago. He's really not gotten a chance to show that. I think now he does. He'll be the two behind Baxter. If he goes out there and produces well, I think it gives him a chance to enter the transfer portal and possibly be the starter next year or somewhere else, not at Texas. I, I don't think he stays there, uh, but it's going to be very interesting. So we, we loved Baxter. He was one of our, I think actually he was our only tier one running back this year in the guide. Um, and Jade on blue is a tier one the year before. So it'll be very interesting to see how those two split it up. But I think Baxter is by far the more talented back and I'm excited to see what this. Te- I mean, Texas has everything in front of them. We could legitimately see, C.J. Baxter playing not only a Big 12 championship game as the lead running back for Texas, but if they win in the playoffs against a very good team as well. Uh, they're not going to the playoff, but... Um, uh, if they win out, yes, they will be. They'll be going oh, to they the start? playoffs. Yeah, if they win out, they're going. It's in the playoff, yeah. I, I tend to agree with Matt there. Um, I will say this about C.J. Baxter. I thought he's looked excellent this year in limited time. Um, Man, we're going to have to argue a lot. about that one. I think he has not looked very good this year. Oh, I think so. he's looked really good, especially in the last like three weeks. I think he's really come on and, and been a much better player. Uh, I I don't I think JW Blues. One, one of those runs good. was that fake tush push toss. Yeah. Yes, which, which was, cool. was there was literally cool zero skill on his behalf on that play. If you haven't, if if people have not watched this play, it's, he had to make. Yeah, well, it, it, it was, was literally a two v two. He just had to make one guy miss, and he was gone. There's no was within 20 yards. It was the yeah. Kansas State game, and he got 54 yards on that run. Over half of his yards came on that one run. S- sounds like he made the guy miss, which is all you're asking. Um, He did, technically, yes. Jadon Blue, I think the dream is dead there. I really do. I just He didn't really play a lot when uh, Brooks went down. I just think that, yeah. Jadon Blue is going to end up at SMU with Jalen Knighton, and uh, in Kamar Wheaton, he's going to be. In, I was going to. I that, was going to say deal. Texas State. He's going to end up in San Marcos, oh, running, taking over Ishmael Ishmael Mahdi. Jokes on you guys, Jalen Knighton's done after this year. Is he really? I think Has so. He been he's been around a long time. I'm pretty sure. It's no, he, he and Don Cheney came in the same class, right? At Miami, Don Cheney. Mm. Don Cheney has a. I think he and yes, he and Cheney were in the same class. They were in the same. That sounds right, but I'm not positive. I think I think that that's right. Uh, Austin is Jadon Blue. I mean, I don't. I feel like people have like dropped Jadon Blue, but would you buy low on Jadon Blue now? Really quick, Knighton has at least one more year of eligibility. Yeah, I think I think he does. Yeah. yeah. Uh, would I buy low? No, I don't think you need to spend anything for him. So no, I wouldn't go really buy low. him off waivers. Really don't. I don't know. No. That was a stupid question. I'm sorry. It was a dumb question. Um, no, I mean, I, I, te- Texas will be interesting in a few months because I think I don't think yours is leaving. So you're going to have Arch Murphy all of it all there, and then there. I feel like there's going to be some domino that falls. Either Arch or Malik Murphy or both could leave. Um, I don't think yours is declaring for the NFL draft. And then you've got Worthy. Uh, he's going to be declaring. I have to imagine Jordan Jordan Whittington, it is done. J.C. Sanders, he's going to be going to the NFL. Um, Adnai Mitchell and uh, Jonathan Brooks could be gone. I mean, it's going to be an interesting offseason for Texas with potentially a new set of skill position players. Whittington has another year if he wants it, by the way. Oh he redshirted God. in 2019, COVID year 2020, oh. and then 21, 22, 23. 
So he seems like a, a guy who will exhaust his eligibility. Yeah, he does. I mean, what what's he what's he gonna what he's else in is a rush do? to go sell insurance? <laughs> I mean Cordell Patterson, dollar dollar general Cordell Patterson. So what yeah, what are we looking what? at at that in that wide receiver core? It's, it's uh Jonte Cook, Jordan Whittington, and who's who would be the third? First of all, get they'll, DeAndre they'll Moore on the field. I, I was about to say probably DeAndre Moore. Um, yeah, wasn't Whittington getting like day two draft buzz last year before he decided to come back? Am I misremembering that? The the great, I feel like that was block, two years ago. I feel like that was two I'm years ago. I'm pretty sure it was last year. Best blocking wide receiver in college is what I was hearing everywhere. Sounds like a Chicago Bears draft pick. I got to imagine Isaiah Nayor, does he have a year of eligibility? He probably does not have eligibility yet. I'm, like, I'm trying to think of what that wide lost. receiver core is going to look like next year. I, they're going to bring in a transfer for sure. I think they'll bring in a, a highly touted G5 or. Oh, G5. Okay. G5 or a potential guy like Mitchell, who is not in an offense that's going to be super productive. That'll I help, could bring you know. uh, Corey Brooks back over, you know. Sark loves going over to Alabama to get those guys who have failed there to come over. Just saying. Yeah, Jacory Brooks has fallen way, way. I mean, off. I think it's got it's gonna it's gonna be Cook Whittington more. Maybe they get Ryan Niblet. I don't think it's gonna bit. be more. More hasn't gotten any time this year. If I'm if I remember correctly, I don't think he had, he's a threat to be a year one zero. Um, he ain't, he ain't just a threat. He's going to be a year one zero. Yeah, he's going. To be <laughs> he's not playing any snaps. Hey, but he he was. If I remember correctly, he was good on both sides of the ball. So I thought that, that was the, like he might end up in the cornerback line for for Texas uh, because uh, DeAndre Moore went to Los Alamitos also, right? Didn't he play with uh, Malachi Nelson? Uh, for a brief he, time, he played yeah. like four different high schools. Yeah, there, there is a lot yeah. of other like under underlying when we discussed through whom we were like, I'm not sure this is. Uh, He's taking so, the uh, what's his name path. He was also committed the, uh, to three different schools, I believe. The, uh, like this the dude, dude from Alabama. Yeah, he was committed to Alabama? Louisville for a long time, and then ended up going to. Oh, Texas I remember he was that. committed to Louisville because he was committed to Louisville with um with Pierce, Pierce Clarkson. Clarkson, Ruben Owens. Yeah. Ruben. No, Pierce Clarkson. Um. Who's the Alabama you... wide receiver who just transferred to Texas who went to four different high schools? Who was a problem everywhere. And then he, his last high school was IMG, I think. Oh, God. I know who you're talking about. I can't. The name is right off. Somebody still has his kick, He got a kicked out. He got kicked out of school for beating. At, at, uh, it starts with an A. It's I know it starts with an A. God, somebody's, somebody's screaming in there. Jai Hall. Yeah, there we go. Ajay Hall, there we go. Yeah. Hall. Man, yeah. just, just that name totally just just to brain. give you guys it's an idea hard. Of, it's hard. of how little DeAndre Moore has mattered. They don't even have him in PFF. Like that's how like there's even wide receivers in here who have not taken a snap, have made their names in here. He is not even in PFF to look up. That is not true. Uh for I'm the looking record. At it right now. I, me too. I've got his thing uh, up. Well, I must be looking at the wrong things. I'm looking at the D's and Moors, and I don't see them anywhere. How did everybody spell DeAndre's? What? Yes, yes. How did uh, Matthew? Matthew? I typed in more. I spelled. I put in more. That's all I put in because I didn't it's want two to. Two O's, Matthew. It's two O's and an E at the end. And an E at the end. M O O R E. Yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly what happened this week. Two O's. DeAndre Moore has played 27 non-special team snaps this year. Six since week five. Is that bad? That sounds bad. 
not great. So for those who are not familiar with DeAndre Moore, I I know when I watched his tape, he was playing at Los Alamitos with Malachi Nelson, and he's a very good after the catch wide receiver. But he played both sides of the ball, um, and I I really like. Yeah, yeah, guys, and he was a, a yak guy. Am I misremembering that or does Austin? Is that because somebody? No, yeah, he was like here. kind of That's, you know Parker yeah. Washington ish, DJ Moore, you yeah. know that kind of you know player. Yeah. yeah. So okay. Um. All right, that's Texas. Okay, let's move on here. Uh, another Week Ten performance that was just bananas was Jaden Daniels, and I was trying to think of. When is okay? Jaden Daniels, he went for uh 372 passing yards and 243 rushing yards against Florida. When we talk about the quarterback three in this class, his name is getting thrown out there. I've seen mock drafts putting both him and JJ McCarthy there. Um, I was trying to think of the last time that we talked about Jaden Daniels on this show, and I I cannot, I mean, it was probably like 2012, like when we first started. When he was at uh, Arizona State with Herm, is Herm Edwards his coach? Herm Edwards was his coach. Yes, when her when he was getting coached by Herm, he is our consensus quarterback fifty four overall. Matt, he's your quarterback ninety one, by the way. And uh, we haven't really talked about him. Um, I don't know, Matt. I don't even know what to ask here. He's going to be Are a missed- draft pick. Yeah, he's probably is. I mean, look, and and, so, and you should probably draft like if you in dynasty, you should probably draft him. The last time we actually probably talked about him, and Austin, I hate to do this to you, but I'm going to throw myself under the bus here as well. I distinctly remember a year ago, two people on the show talking about how bad LSU was going to be under Ryan Kelly, and that Jaden Daniels probably wasn't going to be that good, and that's been a really bad take. Uh, obviously. LSU has been a lot better than we expected. They had a chance to win the SEC last year. We saw what Mike Denbrock was able to do with one Desmond Ritter. He got drafted in round three, started at times for Atlanta. Now, he hasn't been good, but I don't think it's unfair to say Jay Daniels is a much better athlete than Desmond Ritter. And I would argue he's actually probably a better passer, at least more accurate than Desmond Ritter. He may not have the arm that Ritter has, but he's definitely more accurate if we've seen a guy like Desmond Ritter get into the NFL and actually make starts, I don't see why Jaden Daniels won't. He, to me, doesn't fit in the, like, Malik Cunningham. I'm trying to think of what other quarterbacks have gone in the NFL, and then they've, like, tried to make switch positions. Like, I, like, I know you're about to ask a question. I'll just answer right now. If you're asking me to take him or J.J. McCarthy, I'm taking, taking Jaden Daniels because I believe in what he can do as a rushing threat into the NFL. And again, we care about fantasy points. Like I think he will score me a lot more fantasy points than, than JJ McCarthy ever will at the NFL level. I I think that um, he could be this class's Jalen Hurts because Jalen Hurts was what a fifth year senior went to the senior bowl. He had a good season when he went to Oklahoma, but I think because he didn't have the success at Alabama that you would hope for in some respects was written off. And it seems like Austin, it seems like the same type of story is being written for Jane Daniels. I have, I don't know what Jane Daniels looks like as a passer because I, I myself was just like, all right, well, you know, old player is good as a freshman, but I stopped watching him when he transferred to LSU. The same, I'm doing the same thing with DJ Uyunglele, by the way. You know, like I, my my 
um, perspective of them is what they did at their last program. Maybe that Austin, maybe that's a mistake. Yeah, I think, you know, when I was doing drafts this year, um, I was looking at some of those, um, you know, DTR, like Aiden O'Connell, Clayton Toon, you know, some of those guys that you think with the right opportunity can can certainly jump in and 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 maybe take on a job for a little bit. And I do think that Daniels falls pretty squarely in that category. I do think he'll get drafted a little earlier than those guys. Um I mean, after his freshman year, he was in the same class as Sam Howell and those guys. I thought he was at the very top of the class with those guys and, you know, quite frankly, thought that his upside was was higher than them. I just think he – the one thing that I think he does really well is I think he's a pretty freaking good deep passer. Like, I really like when he goes deep. And he wants – in his, early in his career, he wanted to do it way too much. He was like, I'm going to freaking throw this thing 60 yards – at least twice a drive. And it seems like he plays within himself a little more now. I still think the slight concern with him with as much as he rushes is that he's not built like Jalen Hurts. Uh, we've seen Lamar manage to avoid for the most part, you know, kind of those hits. And maybe he's more in that category. But I think there's all, especially because Jaden Daniels, at least once every two games, will jump directly into a 300 pound lineman and just let them destroy him. I think some of those things are a little concerning. Um, but yeah, I actually think like the Hertz, you know, kind of written off, maybe come back is a pretty good analogy. I don't, uh, and I think I, I agree with Matt, you know, the JJ McCarthy question, I think Matt made a great point. You know, we're trying to draft fantasy points here, you know, we're, we're not Trevor Lawrence. We really like Trevor Lawrence. And from like an EPA perspective and all these things, he's been excellent, but like he ain't scored me fantasy points right now, which is really kind of hurting me. Um, uh, and I do think Jane Daniels can score fantasy points. So I do think he's really, really interesting. Um, you know, I, I, he's not my QB three. I think we all know who my QB three is. Now we discussed a little bit. I think we're going to talk about it a little bit later, but he probably slots in that group right after that. And actually, you know what? I think I would take Jaden Daniels over Michael Penix. And Bo Nix and, you know, whoever else, but I think, you know, Michael Pratt, I think I would take him over all those guys. So I, I'm not uh, there. For what it's worth, I just I see a guy who is a very slight frame who's excelling in an offense with two really good wide receivers. Um, I don't think he's making special throws. I think he's completing deep, certainly overexpected, but not to a degree uh, short and intermediate that I'm like, oh, this guy is, is special. I, I mean, do y'all think he's a round one pick? Because I certainly don't. No. I don't think he's around one. No, I think he's no. around. I think he's a day two pick. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes. I mean, like I said, Desmond Ritter, who is the other one? Malik Willis. They both went like mid, late third. I would not be surprised if Daniels is a mid second round pick. So real quick, Mox, as you brought it up, I actually disagree with you on him being impressive deep. I didn't really think that until Austin said it. And I just looked it up. As someone who spends a lot of time on PFF and looking at these, at this stuff, He's completing 65% of his passes over 20 yards. That's almost unheard of unless you're like playing in a, you know, a, a offense that just does that in G5 level. You do not see this in people in SEC, 65%. Just to show the difference, last year he was only completing 38%. You talk about short and intermediate. Okay, short and intermediate, he's actually completing 75% of his passes. Whew. Like he's... Having his worst percentage is actually coming in the in the ten to nineteen yards, 
Everything else is like above 70%. He's 60% right there on the medium, 10 to 19 yards, but still six inter- six touchdowns to 12 interceptions, 700 yards. Like he's been, like I said, you rarely see quarterbacks with a 65% completion percentage over 20 yards. Just again, we were just talking about Drew Lars earlier. His was 38%. JJ McCarthy's is like 20 something percent. Jaden Daniels, 65 in the SEC. That's pretty damn impressive. The, One there of my some favorite things. Oh, go ahead, Felix. I was going to say there is some actionable advice here with regard to the quarterback position because look at this year's class. Michael Penix Jr. is probably going to get decent draft capital, even if it's um, day two or early day three, sixth-year player. Kenny Pickett, fifth-year player. DJ Uyunglele is probably going to exhaust all of his eligibility. He's going to is having the, the best seasons of his career later in his career. Jake Hayner, a, a fifth-year player. Um, Jane Daniels now, a fifth-year a fifth year player. Like, these guys are discovering their rhythm. I mean, after they've had a lot of experience playing football. And I don't think the NFL is going to fault you for that. But, all right, he, know, he can play now. Just because he figured it out late doesn't mean that he can't transfer those, those skills to the to the NFL level. So, I mean, Jane Daniels, fifth-year player, probably going to get day two draft capital. Oh, J- Jalen Hurts also. Jalen Hurts a senior. Like, these guys are seniors. We used to hate seniors at that position. But now, I don't know. I'm, I, I think that – I wish I could think of a guy who fits that – who's, you know, having a, a, an excellent breakout season in year four that we're just kind of forgetting about. Um, but we might need to – Take a second look at those types of, of quarterbacks. Let me let me correct myself real quick before Chris K comes after me after he listens to this show. JJ McCarthy completed 38% last year. I apologize. This year he's actually completing 62% over 20 yards. Doesn't have nearly the amount of touchdowns and yards, but he is completing 62% of his of his passes over 20 yards. I feel like I'm on an island with Jane Daniels. Like I just don't see it with him. But I, I hope I'm wrong. I mean Fun player at the end at the fun call. player elite elite trait at least elite trait in his rushing. Austin, you were going to say something before I cut. I was going to say I think a lot of these guys it's interesting because if they can throw deep accurate, I am less concerned about them kind of figuring it out the short and intermediate if there are issues there. I think the big guy that kind of made me come around on that was Justin Herbert, who I watched really really struggle on short but he was just short routes, but he was just so freaking accurate deep. And I'm not definitely not comparing Jaden Daniels to Justin Herbert as a passer. I don't even think like the arm talents in the same stratosphere, but I do think there's something there on some of these guys where you can go and look and just, you know, he's, he's like, the thing is he's throwing deep. He's actually throwing really deep. His a dot on the 20 plus yard passes is actually over 30 and he's not putting the ball in harm's way. PFF has him as one turnover worthy play. I believe that I've watched a couple of LSU games this year and he's not just like, like Jordan Travis to me is the kind of guy where it's not sustainable. He is putting that ball intentionally in harm's way because he knows that he's got Keon Coleman and, and, and um, uh, Johnny Wilson there to do that. I don't think that this, that, that, that Jaden Downs is really doing that same exact thing. Like he's, I, he's doing it a little bit with, with Brian Thomas. You can kind of find his back shoulder kind of like Penix does with a Dunze pretty much all day. But with some of these passers to, to, to neighbors and some of these other guys, like he's, it's not like he's just throwing 50 50 balls and saying, my guy's better than your guy. He's, it, it's, 
been really, really interesting. And it's fun because, yeah, I, as someone that we all really liked for a few years and then really despised for a few years, I have a really good buddy of mine who I, we text back and forth all the time. And it was a meme, like how much, you know, Jane Daniels, this is his week. He's finally going to figure it out this week. And we have this Debbie league where you can renounce players and you get like a bonus pick. And he finally did it this year. He's like, I gave up on Jane Daniels, man. And now Daniels is having this season. So I just, I find players like that really, really fascinating. I don't think he should win the Heisman, by the way. I mean, you got to give it, in my opinion, to either Carson Beck or uh, Michael Penix Jr. What about Bo in Nicks? my personal opinion. Or Bo Nix. Yeah, Bo Nix would be there also, especially if Oregon, you know, wins the Pac-12 and goes to the, to the, uh, to the to the playoff. Um, I was going to say something else. I can't remember. Um, all right, I, I, we do ourselves a disservice on this show because we are always, always talking about players before like they the general public gravitates towards them. So the conversation about Lad McConkey and Carson Beck, we had that back in July. If we posted a video now about Lad McConkey and Carson Beck, it would blow up, but it's not going to blow up in July. So we, I mean, to be honest, we th those conversations kind of become boring in some respects because we had them, and our our listeners have heard us have those conversations since the summertime, or if not earlier. With with respect to some players, it's earlier than that. But uh, Lad McConkey, you know, he's cooked some dude. Uh, this week, Carson Beck is starting to get more momentum publicly. And uh, I mean, Austin, uh, you've kind of changed your tune, at least on one of these guys. Yeah, I think Beck, for me, the thing that I the trait that I really like with him is that when you watch some of these quarterbacks get to the back of their drop, there's like this uncertainty. And I think that can be a real killer for quarterbacks, like even if they're they're right. And they know what they're seeing. Like, they're still always kind of like that, you know, do I let it go? Do I trust my guys? That spot, you know, is that, is that throw going to be there? And the one thing that I will say about Beck, and I've really appreciated over the past couple of weeks when I've been watching him is that he doesn't have that at all. And I think generally speaking, he's making good decisions on those kinds of throws. He gets to the back of his drop, that ball gets out. He's throwing darts and quite frankly, like he's just like, I, I think he's making good decisions and he's, he's being consistent and all those things. And I, I, I really, really like that about him. I think, you know, you watch Drew Alar. I think he has that hesitation. I think you watch JJ McCarthy and a lot of the time he has that hesitation. I watch him. I don't see it at all. I think he's making really smart throws in the, the flow of his offense. It's not, I, I don't know. I, I think he, I'm, I'm starting to really, really come around on him as a, as a legitimate QB. I'm curious if he stays or if he goes. Because I think him leaving could create one of the more interesting butterfly effects across college football this year. And I think it's going to be really gone. big for Gunnar Stockton, actually. I think it would be really big if he leaves for Gunnar Stockton, who can get a year in that offense. And I'm still not ready to jump completely off Gunnar Stockton at this stage. Sorry, Chris. No, I was just going to say, I think Beck is gone. I, I thought he's looked ex excellent as well. He had a really great spring game. And I think what you're, you're seeing now is an extension of that. I think when you saw him early on in game action, that it was a little hit or miss. Like he wasn't, he was just too tentative, which would you expect that a first year starter um, outside of practice. Right. And so I've really liked what I've seen from him as well. And I don't know what his 
NFL draft ceiling is, but it's certainly higher than Stetson Bennett's. Like, I think he's a substantially better player, like, for this Georgia offense and just, like, evaluation-wise. So I've I've really liked what I've seen of, of Carson Beck for sure. Um, he should be a day-two pick, I think. If Jane Daniels is a day-two pick, I think Beck should be too. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he's floated up into the round one discussion, which is why I think he's gone too. I think especially if the telling thing will be, which I actually think they could lose, is going to be that SEC championship game with them against Alabama. Because if he's able to go and beat them, then he goes into the playoffs. And if he has a couple good games and Georgia's able to do the three-peat, I do think there will be people talking about him going in the first round. I think he's a much better passer than Stetson Bennett. Remember, Stetson Bennett at this point in time last year was starting to get first-round consideration for everything that he was able to do. So while none of us really believe that, I do think Carson Beck has at least the passing chops to probably get there. I I don't think he's a first-round quarterback, but I wouldn't be surprised if someone takes him toward the back end of the first. So I would lean toward him leaving Georgia if that's the talk that he ends up getting. What do you think about him and Rayola then, Matt? Like, or, you know, Rayola and, and Stockton. And I mean, Vandegrift's still there. I think we're all working under the assumption that Vandegrift is probably right. doesn't stay. Yeah. You know, I think he probably has to transfer down. He's a Georgia kid, I believe. So, you know, maybe one of those other programs scoops him up. I mean, I guess if I've said it about Alabama, I have to stick with it on Georgia. Although I don't think Rayola's quite as pro ready as Julian Sayan is, but. I just think coaches are going to be more willing to give these guys a shot with it being a 12-team playoff. Georgia knows they can lose two games, and they're still probably making the 12-team playoff because of the re- how the rest of their team is going to be. We know that they have a fairly weak schedule again next year. I think they play one of Oklahoma or Texas. They don't play both, so they've got that added on, but they still have a fairly weak schedule next season. I wouldn't be surprised if they just don't go straight to Rayola and we see exactly what he can or can't do as a starting quarterback. That's what I'd love to see. Maybe they don't do it. Maybe they give Gunnar Stockton that shot, but I would lean more toward them going the freshman route. Like I think Alabama will if Milrow comes out and Julian Sayan ends up going there. They'll, they'll bring in somebody before they start. Vandegrift for sure. And I'm not sure Stockton is the guy, but All right. Real quick, that's, is it my feeling about Stockton? They are calling Brock Vandegrift something different now, correct? I don't I know. I heard you talk about that, but I didn't see it. I swear to God, they Onyx? called him Clay. I swear to God. Uh, the, what's uh, Muschamp's son is there too, right? What's his What's his first name? Jackson. Yeah, Jackson okay, Muschamp. So yeah, we're not confusing those guys. No, it was. They said Clay Vandegrift. I swear the broadcast did. I was like, it just really made me double take for a minute. Clay and Brock, like, how many building materials do you need, dude? <laughs> did you guys talk about McConkey? We didn't. No, no, we were waiting for you. I I said all I needed to say about McConkey. He can play inside and outside. He creates space. He runs after the catch. He is way more athletic than anybody gives him credit for that includes speed and like quick twitch ability i i don't understand why you all don't like him maybe just because he hasn't been quote unquote productive but he was a three-star who had to fight his way onto that roster and he's been injured this year but when he's been healthy they they can constantly go to him for big plays 
I don't know why me saying that I think he's like a fringe day two player is me not liking him. I think he's a fine player. I just am not like all the way in like some folks are, but I, I don't think he's bad. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, is it impossible that he carves out a career like Cooper Cup, Wells Walker, Julian Edelman, Hunter Renfro type guy? Those names sound about white. <laughs> realistically i want to hear felix just disappeared again i want to hear he was saying in our chat that he had a comp for lad mcconkey that was not he wasn't white, ready to say i but he wasn't ready to say i let's put him on the spot let's well, get let's get him out here until he comes back the last one he gave us was all those names that chris moxley just named and the big thing with all those is they all had to have systems to make it happen but we, he's constantly said he fades wide receivers like that. Like I said, I don't think any of us, I agree with Austin. None of us have said he's a bad player. We've all just said we don't think he's going to go into the NFL and be like a fantasy superstar. He's probably going to be a really good NFL player, and there's nothing wrong with that. It, it's, it's not a guy that I'm taking like a – granted, I guess when Felix propped him up, he wasn't getting a lot of love. So I get Felix's argument on the value of where you got him in drafts and what you're going to end up getting for him getting drafted and going into the NFL. But it's like, he's not a guy that I'm just like trading for. Cause granted, yes, the injury has definitely killed his value this year. Like he hasn't produced for you on the college level. And I just don't think he's going to be a massive fantasy producer for you at the NFL level. So I think you're just getting a, a good wide receiver. I mean, if you're getting Jordy Nelson seasons out of him, like, are, are you happy with that? I mean, Jordy Nelson was a great wide receiver, but I think <laughs> yeah, Jordy Nelson was like a wide receiver. Sorry, Chris, what are you doing like there? Three or four years <laughs> in a row. So Brandon yeah. Stokely, Eric Decker, like those types of seasons. <laughs> see what you Felix. We want to we want to hear your comp for him. We want to hear your comp. No. No, come on, no. we want to hear it. It's not really a comp, it's just how he moves, how he accelerates and decelerates. There's a player that, you're gonna say AB, aren't you? That played with JJ Watt at one point in his career. Uh, and I that has been my guess is that, as you said that the other day, I've been, I was uh, that's sort of that was gonna be my guess of, of yeah. your comp. We played with and near played with JJ Watt in his career near Soaring Eagle Casino. So those are all. Your uh, your clues. That's all I'm going to say. Um, I, I, oh. I knew you liked him. I didn't know that you liked him like Hunter Renfro. We actually have AB in our athletic database. I'm just looking at him real quick. Um, yeah, and AB, and he ran like a 4.57 at the combine. Like AB's, AB's trait was being able to change dire directions faster than anyone. Like that was his. And I still don't think that we have – a, a truly great way to measure that at the combine. Sometimes it's the three, it's the three cone drill, but like even guys like Deontay Johnson, who's is re really twitchy, they don't always perform that well uh, in those in those drills. So, I I watched that route that McConkie ran. That's like been all over Twitter and everything. And then I went back and watched some more like specific lad games kind of coming around to the idea that he might be a really you just sat here and crapped on him when felix was gone what the heck well yeah i'm just comparing him to random white dudes he's just a random white wide receiver he is not a random he has an eric decker career you're happy with that well any pretty much any player has an eric decker career i'm probably pretty happy with it 
I mean, Steve Argent. Imagine if he was Steve Argent. I uh, yeah. I'm just, I'm glad I have him. Um, who I don't. I I hope Vlad McConkey isn't five eight. That's that or you know. Hopefully he's five nine and a half. Hopefully he's five ten. Um, but that's that that's short. really my only concern. Yeah, but people say he's he's smaller than um than well Cooper Cup is who they've been comparing him to, but Cooper Cup is like six foot. If, if he's five ten and a half, I'll be fine. But I I just I don't know I you you watch he's again. Listed, so he's listed six foot at Georgia. He looks six, six foot, foot to me. Interesting. The, the thing that I'm I love sure about his game is sometimes you have receivers who can run routes. Sometimes you have receivers that can return punts. Sometimes you have receivers that can catch back shoulder fade. Sometimes you have receivers that can play slot and play outside. He can do all of those things. You even now they didn't complete this pass in that in the in the old miss game, but there was a play where they they ran a back shoulder fade to him in the goal line and he they, he almost came up with the catch. So you see him beating somebody but they trust him on these kind of 50 50 balls too for a six foot three star recruit they do that all the time with him that's a big deal to me the fact that he has the body control to stop and come back to the ball um is a big deal to me because you don't i don't think we think of lad mcconkey that way if you're just box score scouting but he can do those things so that that's i had him i've had him in my top 20 this entire season, Mike Valerie made fun of me for that, but he's going to end up being a top 50 pick. He's going to be, end up being a, a day two NFL draft pick. And if he ends up like in the right system, it's, 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 uh, he's, he's going to be the next, uh, Mike Fury. How about Mike Fury, uh, Chris? Oh, throwback. <laughs> Wait, I can do this all day. Mike Fury, Ricky Prohl, Ed McCaffrey. I, I, um, yeah, I I think his Wayne profile Corbett, match is similar to those Wayne, guys. Wayne Corbett, come on, Matt, get in here. Matt, get in here. Wayne Corbett, uh, Brian see, Hartline. How about I don't that? See Hartline? Felix, I don't know what you're talking about. I've got, I've got Brian that. Hartline. How long could we do this? I mean, he's got um, shades of Danny Amendola, but I don't want to say that. Sure. That's his comp. Julian Edelman. Yeah, we, we could probably do this for two hours with just the Patriots. Collinsworth, Chris Collinsworth, of course. Lance Allworth, if we want to go back. Bill Schrader. You guys aren't even old enough to remember Bill Schrader. Nope. Bill Schrader was a big-time wide receiver for the Green Bay Packers. He played with Brett Favre. He had an excellent season one one year, and like the Lions always do, they always hire these Trojan horse receivers. They, 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 they signed Oz Hakeem off the greatest show off on turf, and then he was uh, – receiver and then they signed bill schrader from the green bay packers gave him a big contract and he was just uh somebody if somebody could look up bill schrader's stats for the lions i would love to know uh, does his last name have his a, a c yes it does schroeder i'm trying to think of who else chris who else could we hunter renfro um uh dwight clark dwight, I mean, what a, dwight, dwight clark was a tight end so he's still white Man, what about the like, what about the most famous white wide receiver? I don't think anybody's named him yet. The most star, famous star wide out uh, for the Eagles was it Riley Cooper? Right, Riley Cooper, his, Riley Cooper, and uh, Jordan Shipley. Yeah, Riley Co- Cooper and Jordan Shipley they came out the same uh, draft year. Jordan Shipley for that uh, that that he, he either played with Vince Young or uh, Colton McCoy at Texas. But all right, now, all right, we're, what, now we're just bordering on 
uh, name and just racist. Um, do you have his, do you have his stats, Austin? Do you have his stats? Uh, I somebody, do. I thought somebody uh, was looking him up for what about Adam Thielen. Yeah, had... Did everybody look over Adam Thielen? He's actually <laughs> been good like for the past couple of years. <laughs> Uh, Bill Schroeder had 304 catches for 4,583 yards and 28 touchdowns. Uh, for the which, Lions? And he had a career approximate no. value. Oh, for the Lions? Oh, I was going to no, ask. For like, the Lions, there were the two Lions? years. So he went 36, 595, and 5 oh his first year there. And then he and went we signed him to 36, a huge contract. 397, and 2 yeah. the year after. Yeah. That. And then he was at Tampa one more year, and then he retired. Yeah. The so, two previous years, he went for 918, 999, and then yeah. 1,000 With yards the Packers, prior. yeah. He did. I told, listen, I remember yeah. we did this with Scott Mitchell, gave him a huge contract. Bill Schrader gave him a huge contract. Oz Hakeem gave him a huge contract. These guys all busted. Um, it's just the area and the grievances tonight. And uh, and two others that we didn't mention, I know we've talked a lot about. What about Scotty Miller and Adam Humphreys? There you go. Oh, Scotty I like Miller that. from Scotty Bowling Miller. from Bowling Green from Bowling Green. I was Rax, a big fan Rax of Scotty. I still am a big fan of uh, of Scotty Miller. Me um, too. I like Scotty Miller. Okay, I I want to. Uh, how should how should we approach this thing? Because I want to be sensitive here. I want to be sensitive here and talk about oh. analytics when it comes to when it comes to C two C and the players that we should be selecting. Now, full disclosure. We have a group chat, of course, me, Austin, uh, Chris, and Matt. And I said I wanted to talk about this, and Austin said no, because it would sound like, I don't know, like we were being a-holes to, to, or for me to go off on this thing. So how we're going to set this up is I want to talk about this, Austin, and if I'm being an a-hole, you have a buzzer, right? You can just uh, buzz me, just buzz me off. Do you have a buzzer? There it is. There we go. I have a buzzer. There's the buzzer. So, uh, if am I being an a hole if I say names, or do I just have to find out if do I have to go? You know, you okay, take I, this okay, direction. Okay, you okay, okay. I, I, let me take. I had this conversation with a. F- <laughs> Sorry, I had to. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I had this conversation with a friend of mine on Twitter. Uh, we were arguing a little bit back and forth. And the I, I guess the the conversation started because Chris had posted a video of Lenora Sellers. He, Lenora Sellers had a 36-yard touchdown uh, against Vanderbilt and with South Carolina blowing out Vanderbilt. He, he had another 60-yard uh, t- touchdown pass against an FCS team earlier, but it was a perfect pass. And Lenora Sellers has been a player that we've highly touted but he is a three-star. And the friend who I was talking to, by the way, friend, you ever want to come on, come on this show and support your position? It's wide open. Wide open. Go on his show. Well, we could, well, I was I was told I was not allowed. I was told I was not allowed. Oh, okay. Um, wait, well, he has two shows. Listen, we're, I'm not trying listen, I'm not, it's not about it's just this general position on the player. There is this proposition that when it comes to freshman and supplemental drafts, you get to a certain point and you should pass over these three stars and get players who only provide or have the potential to provide CFF value. And I think there is a place for analytics in what we do. There's a place 
in analytics for everything that we do to help us make decisions, but including or eliminating players based on numbers alone without consideration of the, the player's talent profile, in my opinion, it's just lazy. It's lazy. <laughs> okay. I'll tone it down. <laughs> I think it amounts to a post hoc uh, analysis saying that, well, what happened because what happened happened before it will happen in the future. It amounts to, okay, this is a five-star player going to Alabama. You should draft them. It doesn't matter if it's Kamar Wheaton. It doesn't matter if it's Emmanuel Henderson. It doesn't matter if it's Relique Brown. If they went to this prestigious high school, if they were the number one back in the class and they committed to USC, then, you know, that it from an analytical perspective, that is who some people would tout that you take. But it gives no consideration at all that individual individual's talent profile. This is the conversation that we were having about Lenore Sellers. The strict analytical inquiry and the considerate the consideration of those numbers as a dispositive approach to evaluation would prevent you from discovering Lenora Sellers. It would prevent you from discovering Aiden Childs. It would prevent you from discovering Michael Penix Jr. or Anthony Richardson or Ramondre Stevenson coming out of JUCO. I mean, Raheem Sanders, uh, Devin Neal. There are all of these guys who come from non-traditional places or have a, you know, a, 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 past, a path less traveled. And so they might not have the stars next to their name. They may not have their production. And they are being just systematically eliminated from the conversation by certain evaluation approaches. And I have a problem with that. I think that, again, it's post hoc because it happened before. It's going to happen in the future. Even Quinshawn Judkins, that approach to evaluation, you have zero, zero chance at hitting or finding a player like Quinshawn Judkins coming out of high school because he's a, he's a three-star going to a non-traditional school in Ole Miss. So you just pass on him. Um, so, yeah, I have a problem with that approach saying, if you know, if these players, if they don't hit certain buckets, we don't, we don't have space for them. I think if we, if we were to compare this to make a real world example, it's like, all right, I'm hiring for a position and I'm going to hire people from Yale and Harvard. And, and I'm not even going to interview them. I'm not even going to see if they fit with our culture, if they actually have practical skills. I'm just going to hire them straight out of those two schools. And that's only that that's, those are the only two, uh, excuse me, if you're going to get that, that, that position, you have to have went to one of those schools and I'm going to hire them without interviewing them. If you went to community college out of here, if you went to, you know, you had, you worked after high school and got a real job, get out of here. That is my, that is my perception of this quote analytical approach is that it gives zero consideration to an individual's talent profile 
And let's say hypothetically that you're going to go, oh, well, I'm just going to opt for a player for CFF players. Well, then who are you going to take? Because is it is it Rasheen Ali? Is it uh is it Aronde Gadsden? Is it um there are so many CFF players. Is uh, Samson Evans from Michigan State? Uh, there's like three different players from Ohio: Curtis Rourke, Saban Gore, Sam w- Wigless. All have been unusable this year on in in CF in in C two C leagues. So I have a problem when we just eliminate an entire section of players without considering their individual talent profiles. That's it. That's my speech. That's my spiel. I think I did. I only got one buzzer there, Austin. I only got one. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. And everybody's here, sitting here shaking their heads, agreeing with me, because what I said was prophetic. That's why there are no rebuttals. So I think of everyone here, and you all can correct me if I'm wrong, I rely on data uh, to inform decisions more than than y'all do. I think if you want to be right more often than not, and you want to be efficient, I think you should take the approach of analytics and rule out guys like Flamora Sellers. I think you're going to be w- right way more often than not than trying to find these outliers. I am a Lenora Sellers fan. I understand the risk in that evaluation. And I, I don't think that I'm necessarily smarter than anybody else. I just, I think that he's a player who I identified and I think we identified that can be really good. Logic numbers, et cetera, tell me that that's probably a bad bet. And over time, it's probably going to prove to be a bad bet. When we had tried to handpick these three-star quarterbacks, handpick these players who are outliers at their position, et cetera. If you're right, it's great. But the more often that you try to buck the trend or the more often that you try to um, say, you know, I, I think I can beat the historical system, the more often you're probably going to be wrong. So I understand this approach as a holistic, easy to identify, um, right more often than not approach. I do think there is a place for nuance but I also understand just saying like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna touch it because like these players don't hit and the one in you know fifty that do not gonna try to guess who that is like it makes sense it's, to me it's I, not a, a one way fan. it's not a one way transaction here though where I'm saying because that same approach would have you draft Kamar Wheaton it would have you draft Raleigh Brown it would have you draft Emmanuel Henderson. All players that we faded, even it's easier to do at the top to fade than it is to try to identify outliers. Like when you, it's much easier to identify outliers at the top for certain qualities than it is to like how many three star quarterbacks are there? Like a hundred, maybe not that many, like 50, 75 versus like a handful of five stars where you can easily nitpick them. It's easier to identify outliers at the top than it is. Um, outliers further down. And so, yes, it, it, the approach on aggregate is is the wrong approach. I, I, I agree with you. I think that just saying I'm going to take five stars, totally ignore four stars, three stars is a bad strategy. And I think that if you are doing that blindly, you're going to fail. 
However, it's much easier to identify outliers at the top. And I think that we have done a good job of doing that as a company. And I think most people have kind of figured out what traits to look for. So I, I, I don't want to totally write off this approach because I'm, I'm mostly in, in the analytical side of this, but there is, there is nuance involved. I don't want to also discount that. Is it much easier to pick out guys at the top though? Because I'm looking at the top rated quarterbacks and I, I mean, I disagree with you, Austin, you're shaking your head. Yes, but I'll just look at 21 in general. Okay. We've had two of those guys succeed in the top 10, Caleb Williams and did wait, wait, Drake, Drake may did take. No, he's saying it's easier to pick out the, the bad outliers at the top, which I do think it is because there are certain, certain traits that lack. That's where I'm, I I'm saying I actually disagree with that statement. Because, yes, okay, we all said that Brock Vandegrift, well, most of us here said Brock Vandegrift wasn't going to be good. But you know what? Whether it was just me, well, we talked about Sam Heward maybe taking over that Washington team and being pretty good. We talked up Kyle McCord. I'm not saying you did, Felix, but you did talk up Brock Vandegrift. My point is someone at this company talked one of these players up. Ty Thompson was talked up. Jackson Dart was talked up. Tyler Buckner was talked up. Garrett Nussmeyer has been talked up. Where did all those guys go? Where are they? What are they doing? Nothing. None of them have been overly successful. Okay, here, let's go to the 2022 class really quick. While I'm uh, sitting here, oh, Quinn Ewers was also in the 21-1 class. That not worked out for really anybody. How's Cade Klubnick doing? Yeah, that ain't really working out. Connor Wigman, okay, before he got injured. That's fine. Ty Simpson, how's that working for everybody? The five-star that everybody was betting on was going to be the guy. Drew Millar, he's been okay. Now, granted, Walker Howard, a guy we weren't on, hasn't done anything. How's Devin Brown doing? How's Gunnar Stockton doing? How's Sam Horn doing? How's Nick Evers doing? I do not think it's as easy picking him out of the top. Now, I'm saying maybe it's easier to find those guys who aren't going to succeed at the top because it's more limited, which I guess is the argument you're making, Mox. I get that part of it. But I also think going to what Felix always talks about with the value, you're not having to take as big a risk on those three-star quarterbacks in your draft. So you are on these guys. So if you don't hit right, if you did take Cade Club Nick early on and he didn't pan out for you, it's worse for your team than taking those three-star quarterbacks like the Norris Sellers in whatever round you're taking him because most players who follow that analytical approach don't believe he's going to pan out. So you end up getting those values in the Anthony Richardsons of the world the Zach Wilson's of the world, the Michael Penix that Felix is talking about. You end up hitting on those guys because you're taking a chance on them. And just said, instead of just saying like Felix said, Oh, I'm going to go get the Saban Gurus, all these CFF guys who may end up not panning out for you either. So I do think there is a, even like Lou Nichols last year, like Lou Nichols the year prior. I mean, what he almost had 2000 yards rushing, maybe misremembering and then busted last year. Like I, I, don't I don't get me started on CFF players. I don't want to say that you should fade analytics altogether, or you should fade valuing what the player brings to the table. Like you could tell Lenora Sellers with the traits that he had could be something if he ends up at the right place. Like I, I think there is a balanced approach to it, and I think that's where though I agree with Felix's argument, is it sounds like when some of the people come in on the analytic side, like Mox, I know you don't do that, but some of the people who come in on the analytic side, they fade. just say he went to South Carolina. He's out. He exactly. went to Florida. He's they, out. They he went to Vanderbilt. He's analysis altogether. I think that's a bad approach to take personally. I do not think there's anything wrong with going in and saying, okay, Hey, because three-star quarterbacks rarely hit, I'm not going to take, Maybe I'll take a shot on two that I think could do something or one at a certain point, but to fade them all together just because they rarely pan, I think to me personally is a bad strategy. I do not think that that will work out for you in the long term. I agree. I actually think this is the completely wrong 
discussion on this. I think a lot more of the time it comes down for me to, and I know this is what we're going to talk about when, <laughs> if we're trying to fix last week's mock at some point here this evening, um, roster construction and how, how well we can project whether a player is going to maintain value over the next year. I don't necessarily care about gain. I mean, gain value is great. I really hate lose value. I'm going to try to avoid those guys. I think that's actually how you should frame the conversation. And I think that, so I, that that's the direction that I would take this. And I, so I, I like, I, there are times. So put, Austin, put that in the context of, of Lenore Sellers or Quinshawn Judkins. You know, if you could put on blindfolders and go back in time to when we touted those or Raheem Sanders, by the way, Raheem Sanders, um, like how to how put that put that what you're saying in the context of those player selections. Yeah, so it's really tough because I think in some leagues last year I ended up with one of Aiden Childs or Lenora Sellers, never both. I checked before tonight's show um because I think taking both was probably not particularly smart. I think you kind of had to, you know, you, you the way you you're structuring a roster, you just can't have a bunch of unknown three-star quarterbacks even if we like them on the team. But I, and I think a lot of it depends, like, do I have all my picks? How good is my team? How bad is my team? Do I have a lot of other quarterbacks on my roster? What's the rest of the class look like? Last year, I was more inclined to take Childs or Sellers. If I didn't end up with one of the big five and I went a different direction with my early pick, I took CJ Baxter. I took Jonte Cook. I took Juice Robinson. I took Cornell Tate. I took Brandon Innes, you know, whoever. And it was a different pick. I think a lot of those things matter a lot more. I know for me personally, I think there is um, a fine line between having too many zeros on your bench and missing out on the opportunity cost to acquire some of these players. I definitely think that's a, a big discussion that you can have. That's like way too big to just have in the context of what we're speaking on here tonight. So I, I think there are a lot of different things that kind of play into this. And quite frankly, the way I play C2C, I don't mind a few more zeros on my bench because it helps me figure out if my team's actually good or not by like week three. And I can start making decisions for next year, really, really early in the year. I think generally speaking, that benefits me pretty greatly across my leagues. So I, there, there's like, it, this is not like one discussion. I think there's like eight different things that that feed into this. Um, moral of the story, I don't know that there's a right or a wrong way. I do think the way I play C2C is the best way personally, just because that's the way I play it. I think I would be doing a disservice by giving advice to people if I didn't think that the way that I play C2C is the best. Um, but I, I, th I think there are a lot of factors here that come into play. No notes. I actually think Austin said it really well about how to value these types of players. All right. Um, let's get out of here or eventually get out of here with fixing the mock draft from last week. Now, Austin was not here and he's laughing. Austin was not here. But me, Matt, and Chris did a mock draft. And I'm just going to go through those 48 picks really, really quick. And Austin, we'll get your reaction, and then we'll do what we need to do to fix it. I've made some changes myself. Uh, and here, I'm not – these these were the players in order. Uh, Luther Burden, Evan, Evan Stewart, Zachariah Branch, Quinshawn Judkins, Cedric Baxter, Deuce Robinson, Carnell Tate, Nicholas Singleton, Justice Haynes, Connor Wegman, Jonte Cook, Amarian Hampton. That was round one. Then Tedaroa McMillan, Drew Aller, Mac, uh, Malachi Nelson, Jackson Arnold, Aiden Childs, Arch Manning, Eugene Wilson, Micah Hudson, the freshman, 
Uh, Dylan Royola, another freshman, Ashton Janty, Ashton Genty, uh, Dante Moore, Julian Sayan, freshman, Jeremiah Smith, freshman, Brandon Ennis, Katron Allen, Nicholas Iamalieva, uh, Luke Cromanhook, Lenora Sellers, Mylon Graham, uh, Barian Brown, Jackson Dart, DJ Lagway, Travis Hunter, Squirrel White, Caden Fegan, Roderick Robinson, Ollie Gordon, Luke Lachey, Dallin Hayden, Cade Klubnick, Shadour Sanders, Cameron Selden, um, Caleb Jackson, Antonio Williams, Isaiah Bond, Makai Lemon. If you're counting at home, yes, I only said the first round because I couldn't do multiples of 12 thereafter uh, on the fly to tell you what the second and third were in public school, were. man. Public so, school. Uh, school. Austin, what, what was your, I mean, you laughed when I said, uh, you got to fix this from last year. What was your take? Yeah, I, I did listen to the show, and I think you guys um, highlight a lot of kind of the questionable decisions that happened, especially early. You know, you guys circled Deuce Robinson as probably a little bit of a stretch. Although, I don't know that he's like as much of a stretch as maybe some folks wanted us to believe. I do think there's a real case for him to be the wide receiver four in next year's class. So, you know, in that grouping, you know, not not terribly offensive. Uh, the Amari and Hampton pick was really bad. Um, there's one name actually though that you guys didn't really talk on. Well, there's actually a couple here that I think, and like I said, my draft approach, especially early, is basically not player specific at all. It's just what are the odds this player loses value? What are the player the odds this player maintains value? What are the odds this player gains value? And I think one of the ways that we've talked about in the past where players maintain value is that they don't play. Like that, that is it sounds stupid and counterintuitive, but like a freshman, Dante Moore probably has lost value this year. And we did talk about that in the context of this quarterback class. That if Dante Moore plays and he doesn't look amazing, that probably hurts his value. You know, his value probably hasn't really gone down. Nico, Jackson Arnold, you know, Malachi Nelson, Arch, like all these guys, you know, just because they haven't played. So I think they're, 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 that's, that's a big way. And I think I would actually maybe slot one or two extra freshmen in this grouping overall. Because I think, again, just the value players and advantageous positions going to schools that we know produce the talent and there's a pathway there guys like quentin martin my top running back in extras class is going to penn state i would absolutely put him in this group like you're telling people that the next penn state running back who already weighs 200 something pounds is probably the best receiving back in the class like gimme gimme there's a david Ezimume who's going to clemson Real chance that will shipley and film off but don't play there for more than a year max i think that's like a really good spot that that's just value that that sits there for a while. And there were a couple of players that conversely that I think just like, I think just are guaranteed to almost lose value next year in this grouping. I think uh, Aiden Childs, or sorry, not Aiden Childs, sorry. Ashton Genty is guaranteed to lose value next year. Guaranteed to lose value because he's not going to be a Boise State. And I don't think he's a legitimate NFL player. I think uh, Barry and Brown probably loses value next year. What's his quarterback going to be? What's Kentucky going to be? I would not touch him in the first three rounds of a draft. I think Fegan, if that goes back to a split backfield, I think you're losing value there at Illinois. Luke Lachey, I don't really know what that pick was. Um, Felix is fighting for his life right now. So there there are definitely some spots in here where I'm just like looking, I'm saying like, I don't think that player is going to hold their value. Like I, I just, just looking at some of these guys and it matters a little less for me at running back because I think we only need one year out of them. So like, it, but I, those are some of the picks that when I was, and Brandon Ennis does n- He's going to be year one zero. Why are we taking Brandon Innes at pick 26? That was not my pick. So I, 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 uh, I had to, I don't remember. I actually don't remember who it had to have been Matt's. It had to have been. It was mine. I picked him. 
Um, well, Austin sitting here. You know what? It's hard to do these drafts while you're sitting here talking. Like you don't have a queue set up. You're not dialed into you know the next pick and who your guy's going to be. I'll tell I you like some changes that you liked your draft, Chris. Yeah, I thought I. Well, thought you went I with your your freshman heavy approach. Yeah. Yeah. Right approach. Yeah. Um, a couple of changes that I made. Let's see. So I did dr- drop Amari in Hampton. I dropped him to uh, to nineteen, just to, in front of Eugene Wilson behind Arch Manning. Well, actually, let me start at the top. Uh, Carnell Tate, I think, should have gone behind uh, in front of Deuce Robinson. I did take Deuce Robinson, and I still – by the way, for anybody who's not paying attention, Deuce Robinson has increased his snaps the last uh, th- three weeks or so and is, like, playing on an equal level with Brennan Rice and Dorian Singh. So he had two catches for 46 yards, I think, against uh, Oregon. He is He should have had a touchdown against Washington. He He dropped a touchdown against Washington. He's a big boy who can move really, really fast for that size. And I just like that type of play. So I'm I'm going to – I don't care. I'm, I'll be out on an island on Deuce Robinson. I got him everywhere. Um, and Nicholas Iamalieva, he – he Chris took him. I, when I think about it, his skill set for Josh Heupel's system is, like, perfect. Um, I moved him up to 17. Let's see. He was taken at 28 in the first draft. I moved him up to 17. What's another one? Katron Allen. I took Katron Allen at no. I did I take Katron Allen? Somebody? No, I think I did. I took Katron Allen. I took Katron Allen way too early. I moved him at to the end of the draft, basically saying you know he probably shouldn't have been taken there at all. And if we did this two more times, you know this would this draft would get would tighten up a little bit. So um, those are some some changes some changes I would make, and we'll do this again in a month or two. I will also toss out, I think for players like Hampton and Ollie Gordon, who also was in this group, like they broke out year two, but I think when we look at them, maybe not all of us, and I feel like you you are kind of high on Hampton in terms of getting into the NFL and being a, a quality player there. But I think with guys that I think there are some questionable skill sets in terms of what they're going to be in the NFL, I actually don't want to draft a Martin Hampton or Ollie Gordon this year. I want to try to figure out which sophomore is going to be Ollie Gordon, Amari, and Hampton next year. And I'm looking at backfields that probably are going to have some opportunity. We'll see what happens at the portal um, that have, you know, a pretty good athletic skill set. And the, like, Caleb Jackson is one of my favorites. I, you guys mentioned it when you were doing it. He's in here. There are a couple other guys that I've been considering as potentially maybe that next guy. Um, but I think like at some point, some of those guys, like they just are going to end up being overdrafted for what they are, which is like a third or fourth round NFL draft pick when I can just attempt later to figure out who that guy is going to be. And Caleb Jackson's an expensive example. There are other cheap examples, I think, out there that you could also consider. Caleb Jackson went pick 45 in our original draft. Yeah. Like Jordan James could be one. He didn't go anywhere in this 48. If Bucky Irving leaves, he could he could very well be that guy. I, that, that That's just one name that just came to my mind as I'm sitting here. There, there are certainly other ones out there. One name that we didn't mention, and I realized after the fact, uh, Ruben Owen should have gone. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize he isn't in there. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, he, he certainly should have gone. I took Ollie Gordon at 39 just because I felt like it was value at that point, but kind of agree. Ollie Gordon is... He would succeed in the Shanahan-type offense. I think that's his role. 
really do. He bounces a lot of stuff outside. He needs like a that that sort of scheme. I also don't like how he has like a forty inch inseam. Like dude, dudes all hips, long legs. It, it's just a weird profile. <laughs> his lower legs are real small too. Like that, yeah, I have that as my first note on build. his freshman tape. Is like. Yeah. yeah, he's 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 uh what what's uh the SpongeBob when he takes probably the dance? Oh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, <laughs> that's what that's what Ollie Gordon looks like. Okay, we've lost Matthew. We've probably lost a lot of you. Uh, drop a drop us a five star rate and review. Go ahead and like the video if you made it this far. Can you send one of us a DM? and say you made it to the end of the show, because this might set the record for the longest uh, Debbie debate. And um, ah, deservedly so, because there was a lot to cover. All right, that is going to be our show for tonight. Apologies to Kirk Herbstreit. We ran out of time. We'll get them rescheduled soon for Austin Ace, Chris Moxley, and Matt Bruning. I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck.